there is only one queen. Long live Queen Elizabeth. God save the queen. All that's happened on my watch is the place has fallen apart. The Crowncast, a new watch-along podcast series from News Talk. The Crown. The Crown. The Crown must win. Hello, Kira Kelly here from News Talk Breakfast. Welcome to the Crowncast. On this episode, we're going to be looking at what happened in season four, episode one, because of course the Crowncast looks at every episode in depth in the new series, season four of the Crown. And I'm delighted to be joined for this episode by my fellow News Talk Breakfast presenter, Shane Coleman. Shane, you obviously have watched season four, episode one, and you have watched the Crown in general. First impressions, what what did you make of it? Um look I'm a, I'm a surprise fan of the crown. I thought I would wouldn't like it at all. I'm not a fan. I'm not particularly interested in the royal family or whatever, but I I'm a big history buff. So I I have really enjoyed because I and I love the way the crown intersperses sort of politics with um with the royal family and and it, it is like it is kind of a history lesson, I suppose. Um, so I have really enjoyed it. I, I kind of have enjoyed each series slightly less. I thought the first series was brilliant. And I'm not... I've only watched the first episode of uh, of, of season four, the one dealing with the uh, the murder of, of Louis Mountbatten. I, I was a little disappointed with it, a little underwhelmed by it, I have to say. Really? Because, like, obviously, I'm sure you're aware that season four has had more or less rave reviews. Tell me, you know, tell me... Okay, but... Equally, not everyone's going to view anything in the same way. What disappointed you? I, and maybe I'm, maybe I was being unrealistic. I thought I was looking for a bit more depth in relation, particularly in relation to the Mountbatten uh, storyline. Like what I wanted to know was, like it was obviously it was an horrific event that had a huge impact on 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 the royal family, and and we knew that already. We knew he was Mountbatten was particularly close to Charles. Had previously been close to to Prince Philip, but. Like we didn't get any reaction from the Queen at all. Like what, you know? When I remember when the Queen came here, there was this kind of slight under undercurrent, and there was kind of stories about the Queen not being particularly mad about Ireland and the Irish, um, and they were kind of put to bed, I suppose, during the uh, during her visit to Croke Park and and here and so on. But I'd like to have seen a little more depth uh, in relation to that. I'd like to have seen what her reaction was. Instead, what we got was just her uh, tears in her eyes, and then we had this. Re- ridiculous conversation where Margaret Thatcher rang the Queen to express her condolences and ended up giving a political speech on the phone about how she was sick and tired of the of listening to excuses about the IRA uh, excusing their criminality as she put it and it was a political speech and the Queen said nothing Yes Buckingham Palace Prime Minister putting you through to Her Majesty the Queen Your Majesty Prime Minister this is a very great tragedy. Lord Mountbatten's death leaves a gap that can never be filled. Our heartfelt condolences go out to you and your family, and of course to those of the servicemen killed at Warren Point today. I am sick and tired of those who would seek to rationalize and make excuses for the atrocities committed by the IRA 
There's no such thing as political murder or political bombing or political violence. There's only criminal murder, criminal bombing and criminal violence. And I give you my word, I will wage a war against the Irish Republican Army with relentless determination and without mercy until that war is won. It was so implausible. It was ridiculously implausible. But hold on. Let's look at the other side. I mean, the Queen has said nothing about... Mo- I mean, isn't that the... In public. It- in public. But in private, but are we seriously in- supposed to believe that the Queen just listened as Margaret Thatcher gave a political speech and said nothing? I, I don't buy that. Really? Because, the, like, has that not been her byword? Yes, obviously in, in public. public. But not just in public. Look look at all this, the, the behind-the-scenes scenes that we've seen so far in season one, two and three as well. No matter what seems to happen within the family, no matter who dies, no matter Charles prostrating himself in, in, in to, to his mother about Camilla, about, you know, no one listens to me and all this. And, and she's, she literally has cold shouldered him and gone, no one wants to listen to you. Like, like they do appear to be repressed in, yeah. in the series in private as but well I, as in public. But I, I absolutely, I'm not expecting that she would have broken down in tears talking to Margaret Thatcher. But I just, I, I, firstly, I thought it was utterly implausible that Thatcher would have given this political speech, which was for our benefit as, 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 the, as the viewers, not for anybody else's. And secondly, I just, I would love to have known like they're very good at fictionalizing uh, dramatic events and putting in. I mean, we had a we, there was a scene where uh, Philip supposedly confided in Charles that he was a bit jealous at that man Batten's attention for Charles. Now, if you can fictionalize that, surely we could have fictionalized something about how the Queen reacted to. I to thought the I would argue that I thought it was in keeping with her reactions in general. She's very low key. She talks about the best. She's picking the, the cabinet for the, God's the sake earlier thing, in the program. Yes, I actually thought that was more out of character from what we've seen of the Queen than than how she responded to to. Um, and, and sorry, Gillian in previous Anderson. episodes. I mean, for example, when in, in the last series, the that dreadful, dreadful um, accident in in Wales, Aberfan. yeah, in Aberfan, where the the school was engulfed, and and oh, just there was oh the, the, all those for anyone who hasn't seen killed. it, a slack heap in, in in a Welsh mining village, a huge hundreds of tons of coal literally descended upon a, a primary school and, and hundreds of children were killed. It was yeah. a, a horrific thing. Now, after that happened, she found it very difficult. She she felt she she struggled with her public emotions. And she had a conversation with Harold Wilson, if you remember, in which she confesses this and, and is really honest and lays herself bare. So if she can do that with Harold Wilson in this programme, are we really expected to believe that she just stays completely quiet and says nothing when she's talking to Margaret Thatcher? I, I they found wouldn't that have impossible. known each other very long at that stage. I mean, she, no, Mar- Margaret Thatcher wouldn't. was a relatively new prime minister. Uh, yeah, very new prime minister, only a couple of months at that stage. All, all of that. You mentioned the fictionalised conversation between Charles and Philip. If that, and, and as you, as you know, as exactly as you said, they, they, they put fiction and they put drama around facts. And, and so we can never know what conversations have or haven't happened yeah. between them. Having said that, there has always been, certainly within the Crown, the, 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 the TV programme, the perception that Philip and Elizabeth are both very hard, but particularly Philip on Charles. Charles was booted off to that fairly brutal yeah. uh, boarding school. It doesn't suit him. He's a sensitive lad. You can see that a mile wide. Yeah. He 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 feels unlistened to and unloved and and perhaps he was. And and 
it, it's an interesting thing to suggest that perhaps Philip was jealous. Two reasons, maybe because Dickie Mountbatten, as they referred to him as Dickie, that Mountbatten had switched affections from, from Philip and he was a surrogate father to Philip, yeah, yeah. to Charles. And, and, you know, Philip didn't like it. But also, Philip is 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 the consort of the Queen. He He is the prince who will never be king. And his son, who he sees as a bit weak and a bit wishy-washy, is going to be king. He's going to have a role that Philip could never have. And, sure, and yeah. uh, there was that moment, and, and let's just take it as, as as if it did happen. That was quite a powerful moment between those two those two men. Yeah. I mean, I don't buy it for a second. <laughs> like, such, such a cynic, Shane I, know, I don't buy it for a second that Philip was jealous. I, I, I don't. But look, it was dramatic in terms of uh, the drama it was very, it was well done and I, it was brilliantly acted i thought by by both the the characters i thought it, i actually thought it was quite captivating and i thought it was quite touching and kind of a little bit out of character with philip as well because he is quite an austere uh, character and a, a, quite an aloof character uh, i suppose actually one that he's probably my favorite character in it i like him too and yeah. i actually have a certain feeling of warmth towards him which i would have not because expected to a, have because i don't like him in real life there's a bizarre mix of austerity and vulnerability and and that's always they do quite that appealing. Well. They do it they actually do that very well. Um what I didn't think they did so well was inter um mingling the Princess Anne show jumping uh, story in with the the murder of Lord Mountbatten. I'm sorry, I really couldn't care less if Princess Anne finished fifth or sixth in some equestrian event somewhere. Do you know what I, I and neither could I, I and that's True, but you know what I do find quite interesting is is the 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 two people who 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 Philip shows affection for are and 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 he was quite brash with with Mountbatten in the beginning of the episode, but he shows a certain affection towards Elizabeth from time to time. But he does seem to have a genuine affection towards Anne that he that is missing from his relationship with Charles. Yeah. and she comes across as the most normal of the royals, the most likeable of the royals, the most kind of unaffected uh, by it all. In a way, like, I don't think Charles is a particularly sympathetic character. You have sympathy for him for what he went through, but he's kind of whiny and moany. I and feel sorry for him. I, I, what, I, what, I, what has surprised me throughout all of this is that I seem to find myself feeling sorry for members of the royal family, which I didn't yeah. expect. I feel sorry for all of them. I feel sorry for the Queen. For I feel sorry for what they don't have in their lives, which appears to be warmth and and like there's a there's a horrible scene in a in a in a in a previous uh stage of the show in series three where Princess Margaret's life is unraveling, her marriage is unla- unraveling to uh, Tony Armstrong Jones. He's having an affair with a younger woman. She her her best is perhaps behind us. She's this faded glory and, and this you can see her her world crumbling and her kind of her her glamour and all the, the sort mm-hmm. of cachet she has is sort of slipping away from her and and she 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 sort of says to her family, you know, I think we should we should stop inviting Tony to things and stuff like that because, you know, I'm uncomfortable with this and he's 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 humiliating me in public with his new relationship and you know, because they were still married and he was he was publicly seeing another woman and all of that. And then the queen, can, the queen mother, kind of goes. I think he's terribly charming and and generous. And then the queen goes, "Oh yes, he's great fun, isn't?" And they all literally completely discount her personal pain, and they all start laughing and guffawing around the table. Yeah. 
And it's mean. It's actually mean. And I don't think any of us would behave towards a member of our no. family who was going through a there's, divorce. I think there's even more. There's a scene where Charles... I can't. Charles comes back from... I presume it's from Wales. Uh, I can't... I, oh, I can't, yeah. And the Queen is up in bed and he wants to see her and she says, no, it, it doesn't suit now. And like you're thinking, what parent, what mother would see her son come home and say, actually, I'll talk to him. Truthfully, that's why I, 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 I could buy that she didn't show a glimmer of, of emotion when, when Mountbatten was killed despite her having affection towards him. And bear in mind, he was a blood relative of, of it wasn't Philip. wasn't lack of emotion, though, that, I was, that frustrated me. It a was lack the of lack reaction. of anything. Yeah, the well. lack of a reaction. And he was the blood relative. He, he was Philip's mum's brother. That's who he was. So he was Philip's uncle yeah. who, who had, had an influential role on him. And then he was... He was I think he Charles was also was, he was also some distant cousin. I think he was her well. second like, cousin and there's all that intermarriage <laughs> going on. <laughs> you mentioned the acting and you mentioned the great acting between um Charles and Philip, the actors there. Huge amount of attention, uh, and I'd love to know your view on the acting uh, of uh, Emma Emma Corin. Um, uh, Corin, who is Corin, who is uh, Lady Straight out of drama, drama school to play Diana. Lady Diana. Um, what what did you think of it? I, look, everyone's raving about her. I wasn't. I, I wasn't convinced. Early days yet. I've only seen episode one. I wasn't convinced. I kind of thought her face would kind of crack uh, at some point. Um, from all the from all the looking out under her eyelashes. Well, yeah. I mean, she does that very well. So I don't know. I'm not so sure. I'm also. I'm not convinced about the Margaret Thatcher. Um, how Gillian Anderson plays it either. Um, I the just, voice is unbelievably good. Yeah, the voice is good. Just, is it because Gillian Anderson is hot as hell and we just can't reconcile no, reconcile no. Thatcher and Gillian? <laughs> is that what it is? No, I, I don't know what it, I just wasn't. I always thought I was watching Gillian Anderson play Margaret Thatcher. I never actually thought I was uh, Could watching that, Was that Thatcher. not partly because Gillian Anderson is so much better looking than Thatcher though? No. She is a no, very... No, because she looks like... She actually looks quite like Thatcher. No, I didn't... Uh, I, no, uh, I, I, to I have that. to say, I thought for, for both of them, and we'll come back to Diana in a moment, but I, I thought the, the, the affectations that they have both adopted were spot on. Thatcher had that kind of... Uh, Sort of semi-imperious look on her face all she the did. time. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but but she had she had a certain facial expression. She had a certain way of holding her head to one side. Mind you, maybe all the women had held their head to one side in those days because Diana does it too. Um, there, there were certain mannerisms, and I just thought both of them nailed it. I, I yeah. really did, and and I'm I'm excited. I have to say to see the forming relationship between Thatcher and the Queen because. Uh, you know, in, in an era that was as misogynist, in, in the era of Benny Hill and, and all of that, we had a female prime minister and a female yeah, head of state uh, out of step. I mean, Thatcher has asked, will there be women in your cabinet? Of course not. They're far too emotional. And then you look at these two women in the room, completely unself-aware about the fact that they're both, they're both iron ladies, really. Yeah. And yet they think women in general are too emotional. Yeah. Um, uh, that is fine. Actually, something else you said to me the other day, which uh, it, it did get me thinking, when you said you were really looking forward to this series because it was you know, you remembered a, a lot of the incidents that happened. And I was thinking about that last night as I was watching it. And actually, for me personally, I'm not sure I like that because I think when you actually know the events that's happening, you can see the flaws. Do in the they program. jar? They jar I, with I, the I, fictionalized? I think you can see the flaws in them. And I like I just saw flaws in how they covered the 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 the, the killing of Lord Mountbatten, Mountbatten. Um, even stuff like things that really jarred at me. They had footage from the north, and it was kind of news archive footage. But some of the footage took place 
quite clearly took place long after Mountbatten had been killed. Like there was stuff from the hunger strikes which took place in 81 um, as opposed to Mountbatten's murder in 79. I thought the the spokesperson for the IRA, uh, I, I thought that was really unrealistic. It just would not have happened the way it was, the, the statement that he read out and including reading the rhyme at the end about um, the... 13 the, gone and not yeah, forgotten, we got 18, 18 and, and Mountbatten. Mount yeah, I, again, I just thought it was, it jarred do, with me. Do you know what it did to me? And it did. It kind of gave me the chills, not because it was so well done, but I'll tell you what it did do, Shane. It brought me back to when we were both, because we're of an age, when we were growing up, the North and the violence in the North and the killings in the North, on both sides. I'm certainly not casting aspersions on any, anybody because that's not the, what this podcast is about. But do you remember that sense of 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 sort of sickening worry that, that emanated through our own news channels when we were growing up in, in yeah. the 70s and the 80s into the 90s from the north and it brought me back to that and I actually thought thank God thank God we have yeah, peace yeah. on the island thank God we have a ceasefire thank God we have a good Friday agreement because it was a terrible time it was Republican Army released a statement taking full responsibility for the execution of Lord Mountbatten and for the deaths of the 18 British servicemen killed in our attacks at Warren Point. 13 gone and not forgotten, we got 18 on Mountbatten. To Irish Republicans, Lord Mountbatten was the ultimate symbol of imperialist oppression. Each year, he came to sit in his castle on land stolen by the English. He knew the risks in coming here. And his death represents a legitimate blow against an enemy target. Over the coming weeks and months, you will all bear witness to the cloying tributes paid to this so-called hero. But where are the tears of the British government for those men, women and children of Ireland who've lost their lives? Where is their grand funeral or solemn state occasion? Who will eulogise their deaths or pay tribute to the lives of the many Irish citizens so cruelly cut short, like the 13 innocent civilians murdered by the British on Bloody Sunday? 13 gone, not forgotten. We got 18 on Mount Button. I mean, my wife said to me at the end of it, what did you expect? It's the crown. You know, it's not a historical documentary. You weren't going to get what you were looking for. And she's right. Um, but I just felt, I felt a little dissatisfied uh, at how they covered it. I obviously am an easier mark than you because I didn't. And I actually enjoy being plugged into because, you know, I was in primary school when when Charles and Di got married and, and the whole country and everybody who I knew, all the other little girls in my class, we were all talking about it. And and it wasn't even so much that we were kind of starry eyed or thought we were ever going to be princesses. It wasn't as, as, as Disney-esque or, or nonsensical as that. It was just like the story du jour. It was, it was the thing in her yeah. dress and all that. Having said that, I remember looking at her dress at the time even and thinking, Jesus, it's rotten. Um, and, and, and I'm, sure, meringue, I'm right. sure it's kind of beige as well. It's kind of a yeah. dirty colour. The crown isn't always subtle. In fact, sometimes it's as subtle as a, as a brick. And we had we had that hunting metaphor. Uh, the stag. Yeah, last night. The stag and the fishing and all that that was going on at the same time as... It did work as, 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 a, as, a, as, a, as a building of tension. I thought it was a bit clunky now. But anyway, it, it, it certainly wasn't subtle. I'm so much more lowbrow than you, Shane Cohen. <laughs> I was like, oh yes, how amazing they've thought of a stag and a fish. But... Where they were subtle was, and I thought this was quite clever, it hinted that 
Diana maybe was quite manipulative was I don't know if you remember when Charles arrived to he was dating her older sister first and when he arrived she gives she gives a kind of a mock sarcastic bow or curts, curtsy uh, to Charles I, in other words like I'm not that impressed by who you are or whatever and then fast forward whatever 15 minutes later in the programme or a year or two later and Charles is now arriving for Diana and she gives a very very official curtsy to Charles very genuine in inverted commas but not genuine it did sort of look she's playing him yeah, basically there was an element of Diana setting her cap at him that, like, yeah. like there was an element of that and and, and uh, even when he was as you say he, he went out and we don't exactly know went out with her older sister for some period of time but he comes to her house her family home yeah. and the, the older sister according to the, the crown has said to Diana under no circumstances show yourself kind of hide yourself away or can't resist, and she kind of comes out and she's dressed from Midsummer Night Dream and she's dressed as one of the one of the kind of the wood nymphs in kind of a leotard uh, which is a little bit subtly racy and all all of that and 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 Charles the, can't keep his eyes off her and there is a, there is a question that maybe that 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 she she knew what she was at oh yeah I was given strict instructions to remain out of sight I just have to get to that room over there and this is the only way your Royal Highness. Well, I haven't seen a thing. Thank you, sir. It's quite a costume. It's a complete disaster. We're doing a Midsummer Night's Dream at school. I love Midsummer Night's Dream. So do I. I think. Well, <laughs> but she was very young. I mean, he was about thirty. She was barely eighteen. She was barely eighteen. I know it's quite extraordinary. Look back the the age difference between between the two of them. But look, I, we we didn't see enough. I think of her. I think to judge it at this stage, and we'll see more as it goes on, um, and how their relationship uh, d- develops. Uh, I the one other thing that of interest was the uh, the letter. Again, we talk about subtle as a brick. The letter that Mountbatten supposedly wrote to Charles just before uh, he was killed, uh, which quite clearly never happened. But I thought it was when he said, you know, go and, and, and marry you're some ru- sweet little ru- girl. You know you're ruining this for me. I believed, of course it has happened. I was yeah. like, oh no, it's so tragic. Because he was going to write that really seminal letter just before they'd he was killed. They'd had a row just yeah, before. Which of course, yeah, which never happened oh, either. Uh, but oh, where you're he says, killing me here. Go and marry, go find someone sweet and true and all that. And again, subtle as a brick, Mountbatten, having told him to sow his wild oats, was now pushing him in the direction of a, a Diana. Well, well, I'm, or a, well, a girl worthy of, of marriage, which was, which, which I mean, there, and that would have been a perception. Oh, yeah, no, there were girls who were marriage material and girls yeah. who were not. That, that, that was definitely a perception I actually of thought, that time. I thought the, the, one of the best scenes was when they were discussing Charles's girlfriend around the table, the, the royal family, or minus Charles, and they just named all these names who I'd kind of vaguely heard of. And, you know, was Borgia one of them? No, not with a name like that. And it was just brilliant. It was like a real family discussing the eldest son's girlfriends and dismissing them or liking them one by one. I thought that was quite clever. Uh, they obviously all really liked her as well when she arrives up to Balmoral. And I was thinking that, that'll change over the next few episodes because obviously she did fall out with them all. Um, one of the other characters we haven't mentioned at all is Camilla and the role that Camilla has in Charles's life. And and it struck me from from the portrayal, at least within The Crown, that 
Camilla held, held all the cards in that relationship that Charles was devoted to her. He never wanted her to marry anyone else. He only wanted her to marry there him. There was three of us in this relationship. There was three of us in this marriage. Uh, oh God, I did that quite well. Um, yes, but, but that Camilla... I sometimes wonder is and from from what we've seen so far was Andrew Parker Bowles the love of Camilla's life and and she has actually settled for Charles long term because it seems to me that was a slightly unequal relationship he was still doing the chasing of Camilla even after she was married it wasn't necessarily a two way street well I I actually don't know I don't know anything about their relationship in reality so I haven't got a clue but I actually think it's quite sad how it works out in the in 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 the crown if it if it is true to to life that basically they were in love with each other Charles and Camilla and that Charles was kind of pushed away from her and if if you believe the crown Prince Philip set up her relationship with um Andrew Parker uh, or Andrew Parker Bowles Andrew Parker yeah. Bowles um so I look I haven't got a clue if there's any truth to that or, but I do think it's quite sad this idea of having your one true love and because your family you think dictates they might otherwise have, you th- I know we're coming to the end but do you think that they might have learnt I mean the, uh, the previous king uh, above the queen had abdicated for love you know Margaret's life if we believe the story of the crown where, where she was kept away from, from Peter Townsend the the the, the yeah. uh, the, the military man who whom whom would would have had to divorce to be with her, uh, she, she seemed to go on a tragic trajectory after all of that, and they were doing it again with. Tra- it's like they're dim and they don't learn. Yeah, our service comes before everything, and duty comes before everything. Even and though they'd seen so many people within their the, yeah. within the firm crack. I I thought that was probably the strongest thing about the crown over the 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 three and a three and a half series that I've seen is just that sense of duty. And how lonely! And it's interesting. In the weekend, Mihal Martin uh, talked about the loneliness of being of being Taoiseach and not having seen his friends at all during lockdown and stuff. Um, like the loneliness of high office, and particularly of being the queen. Well, I we know that ourselves, Shane. Yeah, <laughs> we do. <laughs> in fairness, it, news talk breakfast. It's not all it's, all fun and games. It's not a lot of glamour. A, a lot of it is being in an ivory tower. I mean, I think that's fair to say. Look. Anyway, we <laughs> <laughs> on that note. On that, I look. Hey, by the way, it's well. Like it's it's. It well looks beautiful. You can't you can't deny that. And, it looks gorgeous, and they do look like their characters. Uh, they, like, I do think the casting. I'm I'm more impressed. With, I'm more impressed by all of it than you are. But but overall, though, you know, I think I enjoyed Emily in Paris more. Oh weekend. my. Okay, now now I take back everything I said about me being the lowbrow one. Look, thank you very much to Shane Coleman, my News Talk Breakfast co-host, for talking to me on 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 today's episode Thanks, of Crowncast. Uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. tomorrow. We episode three of the Crowncast will drop on Wednesday, and I'll be talking to Andrea Gilligan of Lunchtime Live about episode two of series four. Uh, but for me, Kira Kelly, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Crowncast. I'll talk to you soon. The Crowncast, a new watch along podcast series from News Talk. The Crown. The Crown. The Crown. The Crown.